0: to say welcome and let's worship God. Come because you are invited. Come because you hunger. Come because you will be fed. Come for healing. Come to this place, to this space. Come to me, says Jesus. Just come. Let's pray. Most holy God, we come before you with honest amazement at the glory of your creation. The intricacies of design and the interdependence astound us. Your wisdom is beyond knowledge and your love beyond measure. We give you thanks. For creating humanity for relationships and that we have been made to hunger and thirst for you thank you that we can gather in your presence you are here with us now God listening waiting hoping help us to do the same in our thoughts may we hear your voice In our silence, may we know your peace. In our words, may we speak your love. Sharpen our minds, open our hearts, soften our will, and tune our ears as we gather in this place. Merciful God, in Jesus Christ, you do not call the righteous, but you call sinners to repentance. We bring before you the wrongs and the hurts that we have been part of this week. We are thankful for your grace that allows us to repent and leave our errors behind. We pray that you draw us away from the easy road that leads to destruction and guide us into paths that lead to abundant life that in seeking your truth and obeying your will, we may know the joy of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. We pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We all need to hear that Jesus tells us that all are invited. All are welcome to the banquet. Listen now for God's word in Scripture. See if you're drawn to any particular phrase or idea. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, and it's the New Living. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town, and he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, both bad and good, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, How is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him in the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Ever-present God, without your word we have nothing to say. Without your Spirit, we are helpless. Give us your Holy Spirit that we may hear what you have to say this day. Amen. The parable of the King's wedding feast. Like last week's parable, this is the third parable spoken to the Pharisees in the temple after Jesus has turned over the tables in his Father's house and it continues with the theme of judgment. And like last week, it's a text that has been used in a harmful way to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Right at the beginning, we are told it is a description of what the kingdom of heaven is like. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the what happens after that we actually forget this statement. This view of heaven invites us to think of feasting, which was a common comparison concerning the messianic rule in Jewish literature. But on this occasion, those that you expect to see there are missing, and unlikely persons are present. This is an allegory the king is God. The wedding feast is the messianic banquet for Jesus, his son. Those inviting the guests are God's prophets, which include, in addition to the ones we know from the Jewish scriptures, Christian missionaries bringing good and bad people into the church. And the guests, first the Jewish Pharisees, who refuse and then seize and kill the king's slaves. Then the Gentiles are invited, anyone on the streets. The city that is destroyed is Jerusalem. Right at the end, we are told about the one not appropriately dressed. What is this garment? These proper wedding clothes? You won't be surprised to learn that there is disagreement about this. Some say the robe symbolizes righteousness, the behavior in accordance with Jesus' teachings. The man is defenseless because he accepted the invitation of the gospel but refused to conform his life to the gospel. Others will say it symbolizes the resurrection body that will shine like the sun, linking the garment to baptism. What we should know by now is that parables are meant to make us think. They're meant to be interpreted. And although just a few seconds ago I said, this is this and that is that, In reality, we can in no way claim this parable means this, and nothing else is legitimate. I would like to comment a little on the parallels between the parable last week and with the tenants withholding the owner's share of the fruits. In both parables, two separate slaves are sent out as messengers. Those messengers are violently rejected In both. In each story, there is severe judgment, but last week, the violence was just predicted. In our story today, we can't avoid it. Judgment is for everyone. We are so used to inserting ourselves in the parable as those invited and refusing, those brought in from the streets, perhaps even as the person thrown out at the banquet. But let's take the perspective of the king for a minute. These parables demonstrate how much God gives to have companions. Think from God's perspective what it must be like to have humanity continually reject the invitations. And not just reject, but insult as well. To be invited to a wedding feast is a privilege, a celebration, and we would not disregard that invitation to attend the farm or a daily business event. And God is offering something precious, not just a feast, but a relationship. Perhaps we should consider a few minutes how hard we work to wiggle out of God's invitation How many excuses we give for not turning up for God. It's hard to look in that mirror. We have to respond to God's gracious invitation. God invites, even expects us to care for creation. And one way to care is by fighting poverty. I promised last week a consideration of poverty, as Challenge Poverty Week is just ending. There were three goals that were stated for Challenge Poverty Week. To raise a unified voice against poverty and show that we all want to live in a more just and equal Scotland. To build awareness and support for solutions to poverty and to change the conversation around poverty and help end the stigma of living on a low income. Last week in the P&J, the very Reverend Susan Brown had an article, and she writes, we know there are parts of Scotland where too many people struggle to make ends meet. We imagine these to be in the bigger cities. The truth is, however, that a whopping one in five who live in our land live daily with the pressures of poverty. I have to be honest and say I find that statistic shocking. In these last few months, those who have been unable to make ends meet have seen their cost of living rise and no extra money coming in to cover that rise, which means they are spiraling further into debt. The current pandemic has disproportionately affected the poorest among us most. She suggests that we adopt the idea of jubilee, which is forgiveness of debt. Two summers ago, my daughter Fiona and I were part of a mission trip designed around learning about poverty. We traveled to the state of Minnesota to participate in a week of exercises and opportunities to learn about poverty firsthand. The week was packed with activities. We helped in gardens for people who could not afford to hire gardeners and could no longer manage themselves. We sorted donations for a community center food bank. We prepared and served food for a family shelter. We sorted clothing, bedding, and toiletries in Sojourner Truth House for abused women. We packed a food, a mixture of rice, grains, vitamins, and proteins to be sent to needy countries around the world through the program Feed My Starving Children. And that was during the day. In the evenings, we had educational programs that involved being vulnerable or learning about being in poverty. Two evenings, we experienced poverty simulations where the group was divided into families of five. I'm going to describe one of those simulations to you. Our family, two adults and three children, all teenagers, were assigned a particular place to shop and given the daily wage calculated by taking the monthly allowance of the poverty um, money that was given in the states. Dividing that into 30 days and then dividing that number by three for each meal for the day. Our family of five was allocated $6.50 to shop for a meal. We had to take the bus to get to our destination. We had been given bus passes and we had to purchase enough to make a well balanced meal. We were instructed to purchase a fruit a protein, a vegetable, and a bread. Our group was lucky. We were assigned a lower market shop, and we were able to make a complete meal with enough to feed our family and some to share. We bought tuna, a large box of pasta, a freshly baked baton, and canned vegetables. The fresh and frozen ones were too expensive for our budget. We were able to buy a mango and a melon, we even had 25 cents left over. The other groups, not as fortunate, having to negotiate particular likes and dislikes of the group, food allergies, as well as being assigned more expensive stores. It was different, carrying your shopping and figuring out how to decide and putting one thing there and coming back and deciding, and it made the teens aware of exactly how difficult it is to feed a family a balanced meal on a very limited budget. I was very pleased on Friday when I heard the United Nations World Food Program was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in an effort to combat hunger. The committee say hunger is used as a weapon of war and conflict. Peace and hunger go hand in hand We cannot live in a peaceful world as long as fellow humans suffer hunger. Part of the problem is our inability to see others as our fellow humanity. And that's where we have to begin. Back to the parable. Perhaps we can take comfort that the king gathers everyone on the streets, both bad and literally in the Greek, the word for evil, and good. This is not just referring to social rank, because Matthew in his text places an emphasis on ethics. So we have to think we need the words in their original sense, those doing evil as well as those doing good. Douglas here speaks about two previous parables in Matthew, the wheat and the tares, and the net that gathers the rotten fish along with the good ones. And he thinks that Matthew is reminding Christians that they are not exempt from judgment. No one is a shoe in to the kingdom of heaven. And the very last line For many are called, but few are chosen. It would be easy to skip it because there's no simple explanation. It's a paradox. The paradox of human freedom and divine sovereignty. We have to beware thinking we are the invited guests at the feast and falling into the trap of judging those that are not. We are responsible for responding positively to God's invitation and summons. But on the other hand, the final judgment is in the hands of God. I would like to offer that reading those words is not meant for us to cower in the corner in fear, thinking that the statistical odds are against us but rather the words are there to encourage us to ask us to make a vigorous effort to live the christian life and yes to help the poor gospel living only begins with an invitation it's not just a nice idea but a transformation of life that will occur if the invitation is wholeheartedly accepted, if life in Christ has been truly put on, we will be changed people. We will not be distracted by the business of the world or make excuses not to attend the feast. And we will be fruitful, like harvest last week. And with the parable this week, by putting on Christ, our hearts are full affecting our daily choices as we live out the Gospels. Amen.